Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on The Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, he said, um, share what's ever on your heart. And, you know, I've been doing this for a few years, so I've got like 35 years of files. I can go pull a message out, review it, and I'm kind of ready. He goes, no, 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 no. I want you to just really share. So I, this is a message in process. It's changed each time. And, uh, but I'll, I'll share. Did you notice the, on your sermon notes the, 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 the fancy title? <laughs> what's on my heart? And, and it started six weeks ago. And I actually have the sermon notes. I, I went to a church, and a pastor was preaching. And uh, the name of the series was called Relational Intelligence. And the first one he talked about is how people make decisions. And he said the, the relational anthem of how people make decisions with their life about relationships is follow your... Oh, you guys were there too. Uh, no, he, his, his point was your emotions, because we think of our heart as emotions are the best guide to making relational decisions. And, you know, if you've heard a song out of Frozen or Disney or if found yourself cuddled up, you know, next to a fire during Christmas time when all the Hallmark movies are, and she wonders whether she'd go back to the city or stay here in the country. And <laughs> so you say that, that they're all the same. And her mom goes, well, honey, here's what you need to do. Just follow your, right? He also said, it was really interesting, that your emotions are the truest thing about yourself. So you need to be true to yourself. So if you don't have the emotions for your mate anymore, just follow your heart. Or in the words of Luther Ingram of yesterday, if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be. And his whole point was just in relationships and emotions, follow your heart. We, we make these gut-level emotional things as though that produces good things. And I loved it. He says, what if we did that with our nutrition? Just follow your heart. Those cookies, I feel like those cookies, and I feel like those Twinkies, and I feel like that chocolate. And he goes, you can do that, but there's consequences. And um, as he went on, he said, but the Bible says the heart isn't just your emotions. It's the seat of your affections. It's what's God after. And then he quoted Jeremiah 17, 9, that says, the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? And then he shared this, this verse that I had memorized, but I obviously did not grasp it or understand it at any level like God wanted me to because I have thought about this verse multiple times every single day since the middle of January, six weeks ago. Above all else, Proverbs 4, 23, above all else, Guard your heart. Why? For everything you do flows from it. Or another translation, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow. The Hebrew word is springs or the center or the source of all life comes out of your heart. Uh, keep your heart with vigilance. I mean, imagine this. There's a command, right? Two observations. Above all else, the most important priority more than what you eat today, more than your plans for the future, more than your finances, more than your marriage, more than a relationship with your best friend, uh, more than your relationship with your kids, more than what you do at work, more than your savings plan, more than everything else, above all else, guard your heart because. 
Who you become, what you do, how you think, your values, the desires that boil up, the overflow of your life, your future, your character flows out of your heart. And when I heard that, my mind started going, and I was thinking of other verses that have to do with your heart. And then I began to ponder and think, and, and God started to mess with my life in, in a good way. Painful at times, but mess with my life. And so with Tim's permission, I'm going to ask him to mess with ours. You'll notice in your notes, I really, I didn't have any notes. I've just been thinking this through. And, but the conclusion I came to from this verse is, the condition of my heart will determine every aspect of my life. Now, let me just pause. What if we believe that? What if we actually believe the condition of your heart will determine, not just impact, will determine every aspect, every relationship, every decision. Well, it begs the question, then, what exactly is our heart if it's not just our emotions? Biblically, the Hebrew word for heart means the center of things. The heart is the, the center of a person's mind, will, emotions. It's the seat or the core of your affections. It's, the, it's your, where your moral conscience resides and those are a lot of words that feel like, and so here's my definition. Your heart is the real you without any pretense, the removal of any denial, and any deception. In other words, it's when God sees you, the real you that maybe you not are fully aware of and that other people never see completely it's the essence of who you really are, the core of your being. And apparently, it's the thing that matters most to him. And wherever that core, whatever gets filled into that, it overflows and it determines everything else. In fact, uh, up until Thursday morning, I think Tim texted me early Wednesday. And I actually, earlier in the week, I didn't understand it, but woke up in the middle of the night and had these passages going around in my mind and you know, like you, Lord, do you want me to get up? And I was hoping the answer was no. And I laid there for a while, and I was wide awake. So I, I went in, and I got a, a Naves topical Bible, and I started going through all the verses in the Bible that had heart. And then I began to jot some things here and things here. I had no idea that we would be together. I thought I would be in Singapore uh, this weekend until a number of things changed. And then as I did that... Um, Thursday, I thought, I'm going to kind of put them in categories. Why is it so important that we guard our heart above all else? Number one is think of the, the greatest commandment in all of Scripture, right? Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7. Hear, O Israel, our Lord, our God, there is one God, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Or when they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment in Matthew 22? What did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So the most important thing to God, the most important thing to God is not our external morality. It's not our religious service. It's loving God with all your heart. Wonder what that means. And then I thought about as I had all these verses, I thought, well, what are, what are like the greatest promises in the Old Testament? And, you know, Israel is such a picture of their worshiping idols, and they got problems here, and they disobey over here. And, and in the midst of some of their down times, Ezekiel 36, God makes this promise. 
He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. And I will remove your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I'll take my spirit and I'll put it within you. And you will walk in all my ways. And my word will be within you. And it says, no man will have to tell another man what to live or how to live. But it will be within you. And he was talking about the new covenant. And when Christ would come and we would have intimacy with God and the spirit would live within us. Or then I thought about, you know, the promise of we all at certain times long to connect with God. And then Jeremiah 29 says, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. There's something about no matter what you pursue him, God says, you can find me. So I'm starting to think about heart and think the greatest command, the greatest promise, or the New Testament. Jesus said, remember the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew 5. Who, who will actually see God in this life? Who will experience him? The pure in heart will see God. And then I was thinking about where's our greatest hope? You know, we, we live in a world where the externals really matter. How you look, what do you drive, where you live, you know, what school did your child go to? Um, are you, you know, too fat, too thin, too tall, too short? You know, what kind of clothes do you wear? And I love it. Here's great hope. That's not how God sees. Samuel was uh, to appoint the next king, and he went to Jesse, who had a bunch of sons, and so he brought out the biggest, strongest, best-looking one, and he said, I think this is it. And Samuel says, no, 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 you don't understand. Don't look at his appearance or the height of his stature, for God sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. See, we have all been bombarded and conditioned by a culture that says how you look, what you achieve, what you've done, how much money you have, all those things are the measure. And God says, I don't look at any of that. I look into the very heart of a man or the heart of a woman or the heart of the student. And what's most precious to me is the very core and center of their being, who they really are, not the externals. The other thing for me, at least in terms of hope, is uh, I don't know about you, but if you've been betrayed or hurt or left or struggled, or if you've done something that in your weakest moment you feel like you are so unworthy and you're such a terrible person, how could anybody, let alone God, ever love you? Psalm 34:18 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves or restores those who are crushed in spirit. After David committed uh, adultery and then covered it up with murder, in Psalm 51, he'll pray, God, I, if there was a bunch of sacrifices, if there was any way to earn my favor back to you, any religious thing you wanted me to do, I would do it. But the sacrifices of God are what? A broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will never despise to think all of a sudden when I started studying about watching over my heart and realizing that my greatest hope is that's how God looks upon me. That's what matters most. And so I need above all else to watch over it. And then I came across, honestly, some passages that uh, I didn't like very much. Um, and so you cannot like them with me. But I, I don't have, you know, this, uh, literally, this is not a message, okay? This is like a Bible study in process. This is what I do when I prepare messages. But, but I'm not done yet. So Tim said, come, so I'm giving you what I got. 
And um, so I, I study, and then I think, and then I pray, and then I start to organize it, and then I say, what, what's happening in me, and what do you want to say? And here's, here's where it talks about the greatest dangers in all your life are not a coronavirus. It's not getting hit by a car. It's not a disease. The greatest dangers you will ever face in your life are issues of the heart. A heart disease that's spiritual. And so uh, I don't have any beautiful PowerPoints or things aren't prepared. I mean, I just kind of put this together Thursday. But I want you to turn with me. Matthew chapter 13. And uh, there's a Bible in front of you or you can use your phone if you can resist not kind of texting a friend or looking at your Groupon or whatever you do, you know. Instagram, no. Matthew Turtling, so Jesus, this is the parable where he's talked about uh, the seed of God's word that is truth, and he, you know, he gives the parable, it lands on the hard soil, and that's a hard heart, on the shallow soil, and that's a shallow heart, and then uh, the, the, the soil that's crowded, and that's a crowded heart, and then finally on good soil, a heart that's good and honest and open and bears fruit. And so his disciples say, why are you talking in parables? And he answers them in Matthew 13, 13. Therefore, I speak to them in parables because while seeing, they do not see. And while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you keep on hearing, but you do not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. Why? For the heart of this people has become dull. It means calloused or hard or insensitive. There's something that can happen when God's truth comes and you reject it. There's a prompting it comes, you reject it. Or the world and the culture bombards and there's no truth coming in. Little by little by little by little, our hearts get hard to the point that even when we're hearing the truth of God, we can't perceive it. Talk about dangerous with their ears, they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart in return or repent. And what's he say? And I would heal them. And all of a sudden, I realized the most dangerous thing that could ever happen to a human being is to be in the process of thinking you're okay. He's speaking to people who think they're okay. But they don't perceive. They're in denial and they're deceived. In fact, turn, turn the page in your Bible or at least to chapter 15. And he's speaking now to religious leaders. Think, think of pastors in America or elders in America or deacons in America or small group leaders or really spiritual people. That's who he's speaking to now. And, and the issue was about sort of uh, traditions and religious activities and what really is important. He says to them in verse 7, You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah say, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. So there's certain traditions, we have them in our group, and different, you know, other Christians have their traditions, and this is what's really important, you don't eat this, you don't go to that, you don't do that, or other traditions, like, just as long as you read your Bible, and, you know, like, give at least 10%, go on a missions trip, be relatively moral, or more moral than most people, or at least fake being more moral than most people, then you're okay. 
He says, there's a people that honor me with your lips. We sang songs. We honored him with our lips. We say things that we believe. He says, your heart is distant. Your heart is far from me. I don't have your heart. I don't have your priority. I don't have your values. I'm not what's most important. I'm not who's most important. And then skip over. I mean, these are just verses I was looking up. This one was a bit painful. In chapter 18, skip down to verse 32. It's the parable of the unmerciful servant. And it's the story Jesus tells of uh, this guy comes to his master who owes him like, like 20, 30, 40 million dollars. It's just overwhelming. And he begs and begs, please forgive me. And so he forgives him. And then he goes to a fellow slave that owes him about 20 bucks. And he won't forgive him and has him put in prison. And then the fellow slaves go back to the original master and said, you know, after you forgave him that $20 million, do you know what he did? And this is the response, picking it up at verse 32. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that he owed him. And then here's Jesus' commentary. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive your brother from the heart. You know, all of a sudden I started thinking of, you know, I can come to church, read my Bible a little bit, and have resentment in my heart toward an ex-mate, resentment and anger and a root of bitterness, have anxiety and fear in my heart, have an attitude towards some people that I cut off and I don't want to ever see them again, and think I'm doing just fine. But when the MRI of the Holy Spirit looks at my heart, it's, hey, if you aren't willing to give away what I gave to you, you are in a dangerous situation. In fact, it gets a little bit worse. Just one last passage. Keep, keep going. We'll go to Mark chapter 7. And this was one that really was uh, disturbing. So I'm going to let you be disturbed with me. Believe me, I'm not preaching at you. This was like, wow, how have I not seen this connection of heart before? I was talking uh, to a group of people here that, um, you know, we all sort of get little ways to justify ourselves. And so there were religious leaders in that day. They were good Jewish boys, and there were dietary laws, and you would never eat certain things. And Jesus just kept, I mean, messing with people's categories. And, you know, so he, he's doing some things. He's not ceremonially washing his hands. He's eating some things that are taboo. He's eating them on the wrong day. And he's breaking apart all this attitude that says, if I do certain things, then God has to accept me based on my religious activity. And we say we don't believe that, but that's how our behavior is. And what he tells them is, um, verse 18 of chapter 7, and he said to them, you are lacking in understanding. Do you not understand that whatever goes into a man from the outside, does it defile him? Because it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. And thus he declared all food clean. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, 
in foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile a man. And what the Bible is actually teaching is that all of our hearts are like a reservoir. And there are streams that come into that reservoir. Streams from media, streams from social media, streams from traumatic event, streams from what happened in our family of origin, streams from where we let our thoughts go. But there's this reservoir and it starts to fill up and it's our heart. And he says you need to watch over it because out of it, you know, like when Tahoe gets full or when reservoirs get full and all the snow melts, and what do they do? They open the dams and there's overflow. And the overflow is what has ever come in from the streams or from the springs underneath. And he says, those thoughts, those attitudes, that root of bitterness, that violence, that resentment, that fear, that anxiety, those things unchecked, if you don't watch over your heart, it's what fills your heart. And the danger is, is your heart is so deceitful, you don't even know what's happening. And that's why I think I can't get rid of this, what am I going to do with this? And so this is kind of what I'm learning. And so I, I thought, well then, how can we know what's in our heart, right? Doesn't that make sense? And, and the challenge is what we've already said. Your heart is deceitful. So how can you know? But the scripture gives us at least three or four ways that you can know. And I've put the passages there. And, you know, as my daughter said last night, she goes, Dad, thanks for kind of putting the passages because there's kind of a Bible study because this, this really is kind of how I go about studying, and this is just where I'm at in the process. But according to Jesus, if you want to know what's in your heart, just, are you ready? Follow the money. <laughs> it's what he says in Matthew 6, 20. Just follow the money. Not what you think is in your heart, not what you hope is in your heart, not what you say is in your heart. Just follow the money. For wherever your treasure is, there your heart is also, so like if you were like super serious, you could go just pour out your financials, get the last five or ten credit card statements. Where did it go? 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 And that's you. And so if there's, you know, if, gosh, I, I bought 36 pairs of shoes in the last six months. Well, there's your heart. I played golf 77 times in the last year. Uh, all my energy went to the house and then the mortgage, then to this. I put all my investments over here. You want to know where your heart is? Just follow the money. And so you should ask, so is my heart going to giving and caring and loving? I don't mean just that formula of what you actually give to church or nonprofits, but where does your, does, is your money going out and, and caring? Where's your time? That, that's, that reveals your heart. And, and it's, it's objective. The second way to find out what's in our heart, according to Jesus, Luke 6, 45, he says, the good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. The evil man brings forth what is evil. For the mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. So, you know, you need to ask a family member who's in a really good spirit or you're in sort of a, a nice place or maybe a roommate and say, you know, what, what do you hear coming out of my mouth? Harsh words, sarcasm, criticism, reaction, harsh tone of voice, cuss words. What's coming out of my mouth? Envy, jealousy, complaining, victim mentality, whining, complaining. What, what, whatever's coming out of your mouth, that's what's really in your heart. 
I don't know about you, but this gets extraordinarily convicting. And then here's a, you want a positive one? I like this one. The Holy Spirit, if you ask him, will show you. Psalm 139, David says this, search me, O God, search my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me and then lead me in the everlasting way. See, part of getting rid of the deceit is you need a filter of truth, but to be able to sit quietly and say, Lord, what's in my heart? Not what I think is here. And you sit quietly and kind of let it bubble up. And, you know, if, it's, if you hear something like you're a terrible person, that's, that's the enemy. That's condemnation. If it's something very specific so that he can forgive it and restore and help you, then that's the Holy Spirit. But you know what I've learned? I've learned it's really hard to hear God when there's so much noise. I, uh, you know, when the Lord starts speaking to you, it, you know, it, it like comes from all. So someone gave me this book. Thanks. It's a book called uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Young guy up in, uh, I think, the Portland or Seattle area, one or the other. And my, my son knows him. And a guy gave this to me, and it was like, oh, okay, you know, I, John Ortberg, I, I remember when I did that about 20 years ago, and I eliminated hurry from my life. I thought, well, maybe I'll. <laughs> um, does some research. Do you know that the average iPhone user, by way of research, touches, we touch our iPhones, and I'm guessing Android is the same, uh, approximately 2,000 times a day. Right? Right? 2,000 times a day. I was uh, watching my, my grandson had a little basketball game, and so we were at uh, the In-N-Out Burger, and getting a seat is tough, and so there was two people here, but it was a seat for four, so I said, can I sit here while I wait? And they said, oh, sure, and this guy looked to be all early to mid-40s, and maybe a nine, eight, nine-year-old girl, and she had her, her phone and had some sort of game going, and she could use her, just her thumb on the corner to do the whole game. And so I was watching her do the whole game, and I watched his father sort of wanting to connect and zero communication. And finally, it was kind of time to go, we need to go. And he reached for the phone, and she pulled it out like this, like, what are you, who do you think you are? I wanted to go, would you step up and be a dad? What are you thinking? But I didn't. I thought that might have been a little too much. And, and I watched, and I thought, this is, this is the world we're living in. Two, two thousand, you know, how come, how come you can't stand in a line to get coffee without pulling out your phone? Why did I look over here and there's four people sitting together that appeared to be either friends or a family, and all four of them, they're on their phone? Distractions. How do you know what's in your heart? Where does your mind go? Where does your money go? Where does your time go? And then here, here's one. Are you ready? I didn't put it there because I'm in process. Jot in your notes, Hebrews 4.12. What, what's, what's happened with me is I, I've memorized some passages. Somehow I didn't see the word heart was in them. It says the word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword and piercing to the division of soul and merit, of joint and marrow. You get the idea? I mean, to the very depths of your being, able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. The reason what I realize why I have to be in this book, I have to meditate on this, I have to soak my mind in this, it has the ability to reveal to me, this is what's really in your heart, Ingram. Not what you say, not what you think, not what you project. It's like James chapter 1. 
you look into the perfect law and it reveals some things. And the goal is grace. The goal is restoration. But you know what? You can't wash your hands if you don't know they're dirty. And God says everywhere in the Old Testament, even this passage where where it talks about above all else, the very next verse talks about so hide God's word in your heart. The only way you can know what's in your heart is by following the money, following your words, asking the Holy Spirit, letting God's word speak, and then there's three ways you get deceived. Right? Remember that parable? It's Mark chapter 4. It's also there in uh, Matthew chapter 13. He went out to sow the truth, the word of God. On a hard heart, enemy takes it away. A shallow heart, oh, this is really great until I get some flack or persecution for it. But then there's a crowded heart. And in the crowded heart, the text says there's three ways that it chokes out. Are you ready? It chokes out no fruit. Oh, there's some life, right? The, the, the plant is growing, but it doesn't bear fruit because it gets choked out by the deceitfulness of riches. The more money we have, the more we focus on money, we think independently. It's what money does. It may not be bad in and of itself, but it's, according to Jesus, it's not an issue. It's the other God. And if everyone here had a moment of, like, ruthless honesty, if you go home and check where all your money's going, you would find out what idols that you currently worship. And this isn't about raising money for this church or any church. Because wherever your money is, that's where your heart is. And if the world has your heart, or your business has your heart, or buying a home has your heart, or your clothes has your heart, or overwhelming debt says your heart is never satisfied, so you just keep buying stuff you can't afford, you're a prisoner, and God wants to free you. But then the other thing he says is very interesting. It talks about the deceitfulness of riches or the desire for other things. It's just busyness. I'm, I'm just, I'm starting some new things. I am, um, when I get out of my car now, I leave my phone in the car. A lady um, in between services came and I thought was very vulnerable. She said, you know, I've started something. I said, what's that? She goes, I've always, you know, have my phone. Last, you know, I always look at it right before I go to bed. Then I lay it there. The first thing when I wake up, I look at it. She goes, I'm putting it you know, in, a, in another room, so the last 10 minutes, I'm, I'm reading or doing something different, and I'm sleeping so much better. And then, it's a baby step, but for the first 10 minutes, I'm, I'm reading the Bible and, and talking with God before I rush to my phone. She goes, it's so hard. Um, do you know the number one addiction? I mean, they do research about what makes an addiction. Here's the quality. Here's the five characteristics of an addiction. Overwhelming, the greatest addiction in America is to electronics. And here, here's the problem. This is not like, oh, now I'm going to, I've got to stop using my phone. Here's the problem. When you're on your phone all the time, you're not present. You're missing life. Why, why, do, why can that device become such an idol? Why is to have to look at it? Because, well, I, let, me, let me give you the research. This is... Again, all this comes into my life, and if you feel like I'm sort of zooming here and there, it's because I'm zooming here and there. <laughs> I mean, I mean I'm, just, I'm on this journey with you thinking, oh, my, where is my heart? And living on the edge, um, 
we've expanded or, or maybe taken our, our vision statement and we've added a little something to it because the last 15, 16 months, I've been all over America. I've been to China three times since I saw you last and Middle East a couple times and the, in the last about 15, 16, 17 months. But all over America, I, I'm, I'm meeting sincere Christians, people who want to do the right thing, but their hearts are filled with anxiety and fear, conflict in relationships. Uh, they, they talk about what they want to be, but they're not experiencing it. And what I'm realizing, it's something deep. Living on the edge, we want to help Christians live like Christians every day, in every way, everywhere, for the glory of God and for the good of all mankind. And what I've begun to see is that when you're distracted or if, or if money or things or materialism that is sort of the, you know, the sacred cow that we don't call each other on because everyone is so guilty, so we don't talk about that one. But if those things grab your heart, then your heart gets filled with anxiety and fear and insecurities. But what it's doing to our kids, uh, this is, um, let me see if I can find his name. This is Mark Goulston. He's co-creator and moderator of the suicide prevention documentary, Stay Alive, former UCLA professor, FBI hostage negotiator, trainer in suicide violence prevention. And in this article, he writes, babies arrive half-baked. When babies are born, nature has done its work. Their nurturing is in the first six months, is the other half of them being baked. It wires them for life. Similarly, babies are somewhat aware of their own helplessness and look into the, their parents to provide security, comfort, emotional support. When looking into their parents' eyes, they're essentially asking, can I trust you? For the last few generations, babies have not gotten the deep connection they need with parents. And this has led to anxiety, insecurity, and fear later on. We've turned into adrenaline junkies. As a society, we've always relied on emotional closeness, tenderness, loving and bonding relationships to produce the dopamine that happens in our brains. We spend time together eating, reassuring, encouraging, and touching one another that creates that feeling. But today, in an age of instant gratification, we rely on the quick hits of excitement and adrenaline, which are triggered the dopamine in our emotional satisfaction. As we become busier, we have taken less and less time. Closeness and tenderness take too long to manifest. So adrenaline wins out time and time again. As parents, we become preoccupied. I mean, this is, as far as I know, this is not a Christian talking. Just science. Suicides have doubled since 2009. And, and attempts are just off the chart, especially among teenage girls. And he's, th this article is, what happened? Why? What's going on? He says, as parents, we've become preoccupied, no doubt. They, we love our kids, but we also live in a modern world of distractions and busyness. Therefore, many parents today are preoccupied, listen carefully, rushed, and unintentionally neglectful. This is not the neglect in the traditional sense here, neglect, but it's, it refers to rushed feedings, spending less time bonding. Parents are now adrenaline junkies, chasing work and achievement with little time for emotional bonding. And it talks about when teenagers now get on social media because they haven't received that earlier or not getting it in their family dynamic, whether in Christian homes or not, they end up in despair. So how do you guard your heart? 
you'll notice there's a little picture of a reservoir and there's a line. I'd like you to write your name in the line. Uh, I've got, it says your name, but in my heart it says Chip, so put your name in there. Chip will not work on yours. And those arrows are just different streams. And so some, have had, some of you have had streams of a traumatic event. Uh, Teresa and I, two weeks ago, were at the Billy Graham Center, and once a year, active military, and then other with those who have been injured. And the trauma of horrendous things they've seen, horrendous things they needed to do to protect their own life, has created, one guy came to me, he goes, as we're talking here, every part of my heart and my emotions, I've got it in a little box over here, because if I let anything out, I'm afraid to go next. I don't feel anything. I don't feel anything for God or my wife, and it's killing my marriage and killing my life. And so we walk through a process of how do you, how do you untangle and how do you melt the hardness of your heart that you did for protection. And some of you have that. There's family of origin issues. But for most of us, it's Netflix, it's TV, it's the news. They're, they're, those are streams of influence, streams of influence, streams of influence. You know, there's probably 10 million positive things that happened all across the world in the last 30 seconds. But if you turn on the news, you will hear the five worst things that happen from all around the world because of technology. And what we know from research is if you watch a lot of the news and you hear all those things, you believe it will happen to you, you become less generous, less loving, more reserved, more anxious, and more fearful. Your heart gets filled up with bad news that's going to happen to me. And then, because you feel a little bummed out, you start eating food that you don't really need, and then you, have, you pour this stream into your heart, bad self-talk, guilt, and shame. I'm too this, I'm too that. I'm not a good mom, I'm not a good dad, I'm not a good roommate. I'm too fat, I'm too this, I shouldn't have done that. And so then, you don't feel very good about yourself, so you binge on Netflix, and you watch, you know, you know 30 series in, over a weekend, and you didn't have to think, and you were kind of numb, but now you feel worse because of what you didn't get done. It's a cycle. I mean, and it, it has nothing to do with intelligence. I have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of air miles. That's both good and maybe bad, but that's my world. And so I, I get bumped up all the time. I mean, it's great. I get a meal. I get a bigger seat. It's great. And so I'm sitting next to people, uh, most of either smart or have great jobs or either have a lot of money, and I'll get talking with them, and they lead companies, and I'm in business class, and I'll watch a business class person for two hours pull out his iPad and, and put his little hand on different colored bubbles going up and down. And I'm thinking, what has happened to your heart that you're numbing yourself because you can't handle what might pop up? And, and we're doing it to ourselves. And what I realize is you have to, are you ready? Fill this in. It's the one fill in. What streams of influence are polluting your heart? And you gotta, you got to put a dam in them. You gotta, the, the whole point behind fasting, and whether it's from media or whether it's from food or from a toxic relationship, is to give your, your mind, your body, and your heart time to sort of, and if you have huge withdrawal, it just tells you how deep your addiction. But there's other things. There's positive self-talk. You know, I've developed these cards, and we, living on the edge, we do these truth cards or affirmation cards that this is a lie about me, but this is the truth. And uh, one of my little practices, when I'm struggling, like you struggle, and I'm either tired or maybe I have some resentment, but here's the deal. When you have resentment or guilt, do you just know it's there? I don't. So when I might have some resentment or some guilt or something going on, ESPN is my drug of choice. 
or, or we're ready to go to bed, and I'm just lazy. And Teresa says, I'm going to go read. And I think, well, she's going to fall asleep earlier than me anyway. So I'll sit out there. And the other night, I just, I li literally, I, it's like, okay, the game's over. It was, it's hard to watch the Warriors right now. Uh, so so I, I flipped to like, I don't know why. I said, I wonder what else is on. Well, I'm going to go to bed early. So why am I figuring? So I, went, I bet I flicked within five or seven seconds to 10 or 12 different stations. And I think God just arranged it. Someone got blown up or someone was being stabbed or screaming for their life in all 12. And I realized we've inoculated ourselves. We're playing games where people get killed. We do laser tag where we kill people. We, we have movies where everything is about death. And we wonder, why is there anxiousness in our heart? Why are we not present? Why can't we hear from God? Why are Christians who love God, who even read the Bible a little bit, who even give their money and even go on mission trips, why is there family conflict and issues? And what I've realized is because the negative streams that are in your heart. But you can refresh your heart. You know, if, you, if I had a glass, if, you know, I had, if this was a real message instead of a Bible study I'm sharing... I would take a glass of muddy water, and then I would take a big picture of clean water, and I would pour it in the muddy water, and what would happen? It would take a while, right? Any change we're talking about is a process, and as I would keep pouring this in, the muddy water would keep going out. And so now I have to pour God's word. I'm, I'm now getting old verses that I've memorized and reviewing them. I'm, I'm deciding that before I'm not going to go to bed, the last thing is not going to be the TV or my phone. And I just do that now and then, but now it's... I'm going to read before I go to bed. The last thing that goes into your mind, your subconscious is going to work through. You need to start pouring the fellowship of a good friend, a slow walk in nature, laughter. What, what renews your heart? A good novel. Uh, I'm taking super seriously the Sabbath. Can you imagine 24 hours of not responding to email or texts except for it's a family member and resting? You know what happens is you start to come alive. You start to hear. You start to purify your heart. And I've given you some questions, and, you know, this isn't one of those highly timed. I just sort of threw this together Thursday. But I've been thinking about it for six weeks. And there's some questions there. And the, the next question is, what streams are purifying your heart? And, and what relationships? What, what, what activity? Uh, one of the things, I'm slowing. Why am I in such a hurry? Hurry says God's not in control. Hurry says where I'm going matters more than other people. Hurry is an inflated self-importance. Your dopamine can't keep coming from seeing how many likes you got. There's times where I see things on Facebook now and then. I, you know, if you ever want a message, don't Facebook me. I look at it about once a month. But, but I'll, I'll look at that and I'll realize, my lands, there's all these pictures. There's people that are taking so many pictures of these great events that they want people to see. The only thing they're missing is the great events. What it's done is you've become the star of your own show. It's narcissism to the max that everyone's accepted. And now the very moment of enjoying the moment of seeing the person is a photo op. 
where we project something that's not true so people can think you have a life that you don't have, so all of us have hardened, dull hearts, and we're killing ourselves. And that's why the average Christian has the same insecurity and anxiety and fear and conflict and struggle in relationships instead of peace and joy and love, patience and generosity. See, a heart at peace with God. What did, what did he pray? I pray that God will strengthen you in your innermost man. That you might comprehend the height and depth and the length and breadth of God's love for you. As you allow Christ to dwell in your heart by faith. Could I get you just to make a commitment to read through those questions? And if you've not memorized a verse ever, at least do. I just, Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for Everything, everything you are, everything you will become will be what you allow into your heart and how you negotiate and guard what's allowed in there and what you do with what gets in. And God says, here's what I want. I want you to take that and let me purify it. So David said, create in me a clean heart. He'll answer that prayer. God wants to do heart surgery. For some of you, if you've never trusted Christ, he wants to give you a new heart. That was the promise. And you can start a whole new life. Let me pray for you. Oh, God. For six weeks, you have uh, continued to show me areas in my life where I'm allowing little, even little streams. It's a trickle but a trickle over five or ten years will produce something that would be very ugly that I know I don't want, I know you don't want. And Lord, it's so subtle. So I, all I can say is, will you help me and all of us and whoever might watch this to start just maybe a baby step, build a dam of the thing that's polluting our heart the most and to open a stream of your word fellowship of what would purify our hearts. Lord, we're incapable of doing this. We know it's the longing of your heart. So that's what it means for us when we sing, Lord, here's my heart. Help us to act on what we sing now in Christ's name. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.